podcast ain't played nobody. Um, last period, last day of school edition. Before we yeah, just this is like the season finale. I guess flip huh? the desks over and get out of here. The teacher hasn't even put a video on. It's awesome. Um, keeping with that spirit, Bill. Last year we did a PAPN fundraiser for a very important uh, project to help a school that had been flooded in Baton Rouge basically get their help get their PE program back on their feet at uh, at our friends at Democracy Prep. It was. Um, it was a really valiant effort, I thought. We, we raised more than we needed to. They were able to put the money into, like, basically, uh, because there's, they were renting the school that flooded, they put the, they put the money into after-school programs where they could um, put kids in a van and take them to functioning gyms and green spaces and, and golf courses and just a good feel-good kind of kind of vibe, Bill. I'm really seriously considering starting up the fundraiser again for what I believe to be an equally uh, noble endeavor. And that would be the construction of apparent, uh, apparently a very expensive statue of the Northern Illinois mascot, Diesel, giving a high five. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a memorial, first of all. It brought, he, he warmed the hearts of millions. Yeah, I, he did. I yeah, I, I, don't see, uh, I, I don't see the problem here. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to do it. Um, so this so, was up at so, a, this okay, was, so there is a, a GoFundMe. I'll, 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 I pulled up the GoFundMe. There is already a GoFundMe. For yeah, this. we don't have to do the work. Which isn't that really appealing? Right, that's true. Uh, so it was twenty five thousand dollar goal. Um, wow. They have raised eleven thousand so far. Uh, and here's the little story that goes with it. On November 13th, 2013, Diesel, NIU's live Husky mascot, brought a smile to college football fans across the country when he gave a spirited high five to celebrate a Husky touchdown. Television broadcasters captured the magical moment and broadcast it to a delighted nationwide television audience. Later, ESPN SportsCenter also highlighted the moment. It was a genuine, heartwarming display of Husky spirit that captured the hearts of college football fans from coast to coast. They don't mention our GIF on here, the SB Nation GIF. I was going to say, our GIF is what's kept this thing alive. We're Diesel is no, Yeah, Diesel is no longer with us, but he will not be forgotten by Husky football fans. To honor Diesel, his owner and handler, Tom Bonavere, uh, and to honor all past current and future Husky mascots, the Diesel uh, Memorial Project has been established. The project has a goal of raising funds to pay for the sculpting of a bronze memorial statue of Diesel in his famous high-five pose. The statue commemorates that event and celebrates the unique association with Husky football of Diesel and other past, current, and future mascots. The statue will be sculpted by renowned sculptor Renee Bemis, uh, who I have no reason to, to think that she is not actually renowned, um, an agreement has been reached with the NIU Foundation to place the sculpture in a prominent place outside Husky Stadium. So they have raised um, 159 people have donated, and they have raised eleven thousand three hundred forty-three dollars. Uh, they apparently need another uh, not 13, even halfway yet, right? Another thirteen thousand six hundred or so to get it to get her done. So here's the deal. Um, you know, in, in our actual legitimate fundraiser, first off, if you guys feel like you want this to be the fundraiser, we can just take it over, flood the lane, and get this thing built. And then <laughs> we could probably do a PAPN from a Northern Illinois game. Um, I think they would be fine with that. Although this looks like it's not actually being done. I mean, con- considering this whole GoFundMe is being done out of Florida, um, I don't think it's being done by the university officially. I think it's just alumni, but... If you guys just want to start throwing five bucks at this thing, if you do that, please, if you do that, tag your donation with PAPN. 
hashtag PAPN, which is how we, we tag the, the podcast on social media and, and like when we do Twitter questions, solicitation, all that stuff. If you feel it necessary, first off, you should. Because the world needs a statue of a giant dog giving a high five. I don't understand the downside to any of this at all. Um, if you went to Ball State, which is the team that was playing Northern Illinois that night, I think you should as well. Because it, unlike, say, the Steve Gleason tro- uh, statue in New Orleans, it doesn't besmirch the other team. I think this is a perfectly noble endeavor for all MAC members to help contribute to. We would, you know, if there was a cool statue to be built at Kent State or. Ohio, we would help do that. I just can't think of one off the top of my head. <laughs> Not yet. So let's see how much money, if everybody listens, just do five bucks. I'm not going to try and hit you guys. Like last year, we were hitting you guys up for like 200 bucks a pop and buying segments and stuff. If we want to make this thing serious, let's see how much we can do. Because, um, I, by the way, we should say hi. This is a podcast named Played Nobody. It's a college <laughs> football marriage of numbers and words. He's the robot Bill Connolly. He invented the S&P Plus analytics system. He's written a bunch of old books. You can find them on the internets. My name is Stephen Godfrey. Um, I took a month off to have a baby. I didn't actually physically have it. And so in a later segment, I'm going to ask Bill what he's going to do for summer vacation. What I'm going to do is catch up on work. It's going to be super fun. But I'm going to do it in a condo, in a condo, a cramped condo in Pensacola, Florida. So, you know, it'll be a festive work. I already um, had my vacation of sorts when I went to southern Oklahoma for a family reunion uh, last weekend, so I'm going to be spending it writing Big Ten previews. Sexy. By, by the way, uh, before I forget, on this GoFundMe link that we will share uh, in the SB Nation post associated with this episode, they if you go if you click on updates, they have an update of, I guess, the wax mold that will be used for the, the sculpture. Yeah, it looks good. It looks freaking awesome. This isn't like a Cristiano Ronaldo, what the hell is that kind of thing. That's an awesome looking dog right there. Granted, it doesn't have any arms in the picture, um, but that face is a good looking husky face right there, I must say. Um, I think we're going to make this a reality, but here's how I'm going to judge whether or not we actually get serious and push this thing through. Um, we are going to be off the air for the next two weeks. So you have today's podcast, and then we are going to roll through until... We will not have a new show for you until July the 12th. Um, I'm going to be out next week on vacation-ish, but also um, the real reason is that this is just, this is the valley, and we're going to take a break, rest, and then come back, um, maybe slightly more organized. No promises yeah, there. No, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, Hold no on. promises there. The following week is the heart of the July 4th weekend, and... As someone who's trying to catch up on his work right now, making phone calls to schools, everyone's on vacation. Everyone. That doesn't mean players can't get arrested and create news. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, we've, but, uh, there have been a couple of those the last week in Mizzou. But it's, it, we are in that phase of there's not going to be realignment stuff. There's not going to be a, a large-scale, like, you know, I'm trying to think of what else would happen in the summer. I'd say realignment, you, you, you're not going to have a scandal break in the next two weeks. So this is sort of the time now that we, we are going to take off. And as I said on the last show, we, we're going to come back. Um, we're going to be locked in on Wednesdays. That doesn't change. And then starting the second, sa- second Sunday of the season. Second Sunday. I feel like that's a, a tongue twister. Second Sunday of the season. So that would be September 10th. Starting then. Ooh, my birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Bill. Um we will start our Sunday show, which will be the S&P recap, basically, as Bill gets his numbers hot off the internet press devices. Uh, we will go backwards from 25 and talk about the week that was. 
the Wednesday show stays the same. I have to keep saying that because people freak out. Um, Bill. Yo. How much money do you think we can raise for diesel? At least a hundred bucks. That's... If we ask everybody to get five bucks, I feel like we could do that. Yeah. And it's GoFundMe, so it's pretty easy. Um, five bucks, way, guys. By the way, I'm already going to go off script here. Since I mentioned Mizzou and arrests, uh, I haven't. Yeah. Uh, so the last couple of days, uh, a, a Missouri defensive end named Marcel Frazier has made a little bit of headlines. So last week, a uh, defensive end named Nate Howard, who might end up starting opposite Frazier on the Mizzou D-line this coming year, um, he got arrested for like possession of like marijuana and mushrooms, I believe. Mushrooms was a nice creative touch, but for the most part, mm-hmm. it was your customary, it's June, you know, I, I can go through the litany of reasons why it was stupid, uh, starting with uh, don't leave your freaking house if you're going to do it. Uh, you know, that, that seems like an obvious thing. Or, 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 you know, be at somebody's house and don't leave for a while, whatever it is. Um, so there was that. And then uh, another, an incoming basketball freshman got arrested for a, a minor in possession on, uh, I don't know, Saturday or Sunday. So very, very, very typical uh, late June headlines for, uh, the, for, the, for the old Rock M Nation. But there was an interesting touch here uh, when after the, the basketball player's name was Jeremiah Tillman, after his arrest, on, uh, it came out on Monday, um, Marcel Frazier posts on Twitter that the writers get such a kick out of or when MU athletes are arrested, almost as though it's a chance for them to reinforce their beliefs. Teenager with a beer is covered like Watergate. Frat spiking drinks, committing assault, and encouraging underage drinking is a non-story. Your fake outrage is showing, he says. Mm. So, um, you know, the <laughs> the sober response here is uh, what I try to do at Rock M on Monday or on Tuesday and point out like the 17 articles that the the local columbia tribune wrote about frat mis, misdeeds uh over the last couple of years at at mizzou and and simply point out that this is a freaking i mean player gets arrested it's gonna be in the local press that's that's kind of a no-brainer nothing has to, nothing huge has to be made of it but it's it's still you know it's gonna show up there's no way around it and some freshman in hatch hall at mizzou isn't necessarily gonna you know carry the same weight when he gets arrested for an mip by the way i didn't realize you guys actually got arrested for an mip it's not like a citation he wasn't drunk it was just a state by state deal yeah right it was a pure zero tolerance hey you're around alcohol and you have at least a sip of beer on your breath so we gotta arrest you for it it's it's consistently living in tennessee going to school in mississippi it was always the one charge that was just constantly perpetually expunged or um pled out most i mean it's almost like getting a speeding ticket in a certain regard except you got to pay the lawyer pay the court you know it's going to take a it's going to take a couple thousand bucks and then you have to do some sort of course thing like that at least for your first and by the way uh when i was first uh introduced to the mip term when i was i don't know 14 or something and a friend of mine or a classmate or whatever got arrested for it somebody tried to convince me that it stood for masturbation in public And I really had, I mean, I had no idea. Like, I, that, it sounded kind of right to me, so I went with it for a little bit. But it, I assume it was not that. Regardless, um, there's this weird thing, and I'm, I, I'm not assuming this is a Columbia or a Mizzou thing. I'm assuming it's everywhere. But there is a really weird thing. He basically announced yesterday, Frazier did, that he's not going to be talking to local press at all this year. He didn't say national. So technically, national press Good. maybe could get an interview, but local press he is avoiding. And it's really strange because... Mizzou's local beat guys 
are amazingly non-confrontational. They are in no way conspiracy-minded. The only thing that I can tell that they did wrong was write a quick little tiny re- uh, piece about um, Howard and uh, Tillman getting arrested. Uh, I'm struggling so, right now because I wanted to shout out. Um, I follow him on Twitter. He's really good with Mizzou News. Um, help me here, Bill. St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Oh, Dave Matter, yeah. Yes, Dave Matter. If you are ever in the market for Mizzou News, um, I I follow Dave Matter on Twitter. He's good. It's yeah, at and Dave, Dave, Armand, Dave Armand at Power Mizzou has been around for like 15 years. Well, we filmed high school football games together in like 1997, so he's been around forever. Um, it's a... It's uh, this is a this is a pretty easygoing group, and I, I realize there's a lot of press in Missouri because of the J School because you know, they've got their own newspaper with the Columbia Missourian. Uh, they got their you know they're part of the TV station out there mm-hmm. and, and all that. So I realize there's a little more, I guess, but it was really confusing because this is a this is not a confrontational expose writing kind of group, mm-hmm. uh, but they are still hated by uh, all Missouri athletes apparently. And that's a weird thing. And I think part of it, there's a couple of things that with that, I think you're still post uh, protest in, in the Missouri culture on, on that roster. And I think there's, uh, there's uh, uh, an anxiety amongst the, those players and that team about how they interact with media period. I think Missouri athletics has always been in a weird bubble because it is a prominent journalism school. So you do have, a weird amount of national writers and, and broadcast people who are from Missouri who give it, I would say it's extra attention, but it's also a strange amount of attention. Um, And so I think basically uh, local media are also hated because of Pat 40, but that's just me. And now it's, I mean, yeah, you you might have a case there. Um, (laughs) It's kind of good and bad to hear a story like that as someone who has to stick tape recorders in front of kids. Um, I think it's good that they're developing some agency on their own. Um, yeah, yeah, no. ironic coming at Missouri again. I like that part. I like the part where they say they these guys are pushing back and they're not just automatons because he does have a point that some of this stuff gets blown out of the water. Um, I do think I, I I have a rule in Slack and our work Slack. Anytime someone brings something to. Um, the, either our main college football room or one of our private discussions on, on how we're going to cover um, any uh, misconduct by a college football player, Bill, I always say, w- did I do this in college? Would I have done this right. had I had the means to do it in college? And then I judge from there. Um, I was no, I was not a saint in college. I've told the audience many times that it took me six years to get a journalism degree from a public university um, that wasn't especially hard. Uh, but you did have to go to the building, apparently. So I don't – MIP to me is no big deal. No. Um, drunk and disorderly, no big deal. Uh, a particular kind of bar fighting that might get you an assault charge is no big deal. Been there, done that, broke the bones, all that. But you have to understand that you are not normal. Um, I, I get the beat writer's plight in this as well because the mandate from not only your editors or your bosses or station managers but also your readership is that they do want to know. And there are 70,000 people in a stadium cheering for you. And there are people buying your jersey even though you don't get any money off of it. So it's – I hate to say I see both sides, but I do. I like the fact that players are, are able to express any extra amount of agency whatsoever because they are freaking – robots in this day and age it's funny 
this is only this is just partially related, Bill. But um, I was listening to a bunch of Ringer podcasts uh, recently for no particular reason whatsoever. Okay, <coughs> corporate. Um, they had an inner uh, a video game podcast had and I should. It's called Achievement Oriented. I was listening to it for the first time, but they interview. The reason why I listened to it was they had an interview with Jonathan Allen from Alabama. Yeah, and I'm thinking to myself, like, what in the world is Jonathan Allen from Alabama? Like, why is? And this is like a hardcore video games podcast. They're talking about you know E3 and all these specific things that are going on. Well, it turns out, and I had no idea, Jonathan Allen is like a hardcore gamer, like a hardcore gamer. When I say hardcore gamer, I mean like builds his own gaming PCs. In fact, when he was asked, I don't know if it was before or after he was drafted by Washington, it was one of those one of those pre-draft deals. They said, what are you going to do with the money, right? And it's always like, buy a car, buy mom a house. And he said, no, I'm going to buy this this specific kind of, I'm going to build this specific kind of gaming PC that I've never had the cash to do. Which is like, what an awesome answer, just because it's interesting <laughs> and different. My point is, I had no idea. Yeah. I would have easily gone and dealt with the raging mental hemorrhoid that is Alabama athletics in terms of like their SIDs and, and their, their forward facing PR people. And just been like, Hey, can I just talk to this guy about gaming? Because to me, that's interesting that this guy who is in one of the most violent positions on the field and has a certain perception about him is actually just super obsessed with building out like a, like a cooling system for his gaming rig so he can play Dota. <laughs> I love that. But the problem is this: yeah. you never find out my colleagues. Um, I think it was I think it was Casa Grande at um, al.com when I when I complained about this on Twitter he said oh we got that and I pointed out to him they they did a quick piece on it but it was like two weeks before the end of the la- of his of Allen's last season so it's basically when those outgoing players are actually allowed to talk a little bit at Alabama right I, I, I'm not trying to meander here my point is this it's great that these guys are developing any kind of voice whatsoever that they can show off their personality or who they are in any way shape or form we see this so much now in the nba and in certain degrees to the nfl and i wish it would infect other sports the major league baseball's never really had a problem with it they just i think are, are a little bit more vanilla by definition unfortunately hockey has this like bizarre canadian omerta of like <laughs> we don't want to show any personality that's why guys yeah. like pk suban are so reviled but in college football, it would just be nice if I could know or, or be allowed to find out something like interesting that's different. And so if this guy has an issue with media, I think it's, an, it's a cool conversation to have. I don't even agree with it necessarily. Again, I would like to sit down and explain to him why it's going to get covered. Um, and I guess maybe there's a bigger debate on like why are you giving like is minor in possession really an arrestable offense? But that's a different conversation. To have. Yeah, yeah, there was that was there was a, a vein of that within the Mizzou uh, internet about like why are they even arresting him for that? Come on, Mizzou, you know, come on, Columbia Police, you know, and all that. But um, hey, no, man, I, you know, happens. so one of the interesting things to me, there are a couple things here. Number one, it. it it's we're in a weird place right now with media in that you still got local beat writers that have to dutifully do the local beat writer things, get the quotes, uh, you know, talk about that third down in the third quarter type quotes um, <clears throat> after the game. And they have to get their stories up quickly. That, that exists still like that's a big part mm-hmm. of day matters uh, existence during the, during the football season. And, and that basically every school in the country still deals, deals with that to some degree. But, 
you know, the local media are the ones that are getting hit the hardest by, you know, reorganization and, uh, you know, dwindling funds. I mean, the Columbia Tribune just laid off a ton of people, uh, which stinks because they had a really talented group. Uh, but they already lost a couple of people, uh, you know, there a few years ago, their uh, football beat writer, David Morrison, who does stuff for Rocky M Nation now. And then the basketball beat writer, Steve Walentic, both left for like PR jobs. Um, and then like the sports editor just got laid off and another editor just got laid off and half the writing staff just got laid off. And so you're, you've got dwindling funds and, and that's a kind of a miserable existence. And then you've got to be hated to do the job you're supposed to do and that you don't get to show all that much personality. The trip set up a decent uh, system where you get to do a little bit on, they have like each beat writer has a blog that they can do a little more creative stuff with. That's fine. But um, the, uh, the, the athletes don't want to take part in the talk about questions and the, and the, and the writers themselves don't want to take part in that, but it still just exists like something you have to do. And I guess you have you to keep do pushing it. me. You're pushing me towards a much larger existential and, and somewhat esoteric conversation about how people are going to cover college sports and like what you're supposed to do in terms of being a reporter. And you raise a lot of questions because Missouri is not unique in that way. It's right. Oh, there yeah. are certain beats right now where I feel like the local media is evolving into 2017 pretty well. Um, and then there are certain others where I, I don't know how you climb the ladder anymore. I mean, people... Yeah. Young reporters ask me, well, how did you get your job? Like, it was so weird and so windy a road that, I, you know, all of us at SB Nation were made fun of for so long because we weren't traditional media, because we were lighthearted at times. and Right, and we still fight those battles. Yeah, um, it's changed a lot, mainly because we're, we're, we're still standing, whereas others are not. But it's, uh, oh, man, it, to be... I mean, if you're listening to this and have any interest in covering college sports, I, you're really going to have to define yourself. You, I mean, you're going to have to just do it in a way that's almost totally unique to you and your circumstance and your situation. Yeah. Um, there is no more. Yeah, I mean, like when I, when I got out of college, I went up the chain like I was supposed to in newspapers. I don't know if I've told this story before. I'll be really fast. You know, I st- the first job I could get, I interviewed – for a newspaper that no longer exists in Pittsburgh for um, what they call a like editorial job working the rim, which is an old editorial slang term for like copy editor. And then I got an offer from a community newspaper in North Mississippi where they said, you can cover Mississippi state and Ole Miss if you do local preps. And it was like a, but the paper published like two to three times a week. It was super tiny. And I started there and built my way up. And then at a certain point when I was about to move to like one of the, triple a gannett papers those jobs just started dying and this was 2006 this is 11 years ago when i jumped ship on on the newspaper industry it was 11 years ago and i was like i i'm not gonna sit here and try and like struggle my ass off to cover a conference usa level team for next to no money when there's no chance of me moving up and so at the time I quit and I didn't know if I was going to go back. I wanted to go back, but at the time I was making a, a life decision because of like quality of life and uh, some serious non-football influences. And then I just kept at it and we found weird corners of the internet to survive and thrive in. You know, it's, yeah, we all sort of came together like a little group of pirates over at SB Nation <laughs> while, while other entities were trying to define themselves at the same time. And, you know, 
how I, the rest of that story is probably for a different time and, and how I maintain and that kind of stuff. But when I meet young reporters, I'm like, I've been there. You're, you're going to reach a cliff at some point, you know, because people tend to not want creative stuff on the local beats. Um, there are right. really good beat writers out there, by the way. I feel like there are tr- you, tremendous beat writers out there. I just wish they had more time to do what they wanted to, more money um, to do what they wanted to, more salary as well, because those guys are just treated like crap. And I don't see that happening anytime soon because of terrible, terrible, terrible media companies like Gannett. Um and it sucks. And so I, all of this to circle back around before we move on, Bill, I do think it feeds back to the frustration that local athletes, that are not local athletes on these teams have in the way that, that we're applying maybe maybe 1985-type media framework on how we cover a team. Right. Yeah, and that, my other thing that I found interesting, somebody uh, during this exchange among like Mizzou media folks, um, somebody mentioned this, um, and I, I do wonder what role it plays. Somebody... Um, a guy basically said a tweet like this proves how damaging it is that the media has such little access to players now. Nobody really knows each other at all. And and part of that, yes. um, I was digging back through a bunch of links from 07 um, uh, for reasons that we, I won't reveal just yet. Um, but in 07, uh, at the trip, on the on di- when Dave Matter was working for the Columbia Tribune on his Behind the Stripes blog, he had a weekly Q&A with Chase Daniel. A weekly Q&A. Um, where, where I mean, well, where Daniel sat down, they talked about the game, the uh, the past game and the upcoming game and all this weekly. That blows my mind that that was possible. I know, and 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 part of it is you know because that now there is a Mizzou network. Every single every single major school has its own video team, its own social media team, and they basically put out their own content. And most, a lot of it's pretty good. It's not like just pure propaganda, or at least to the extent that it is, it's just, it's stuff that the fan base eats up and wants to see. I mean, a quick interview about how, how's the freshman year going? How's the red shirt? Blah, 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 blah. Um, that's fine. But that's another thing that, um, a limits, interesting things for local beat writers to do and B kind of makes beat writers a foreign entity. Um, when you are not familiar, you're more likely to be hostile and, and, uh, or, or you're more likely to be viewed as hostile, I should say. And it's, it's just, it's a really sad thing. Cause I mean, the, yeah, the, the trips beat writers that do still exist are fine. They're good. They seem like pretty good dudes. They do a good job and they're treated like they're, uh, you know, adversaries when all they're doing is saying, Hey, this guy got arrested anyway, moving on. Um, and, I, and I contributed this a little bit, like on the, the Rock M Facebook post for, for uh, Nate Howard uh, the other day. Like it, the whole Facebook post was, hey, it looks like uh, or it was basically, wow, Nate Howard did something pretty dumb. Anyway, moving on. You know, that was the whole thing. But, I mean, I don't know. It, it's a weird place to be at the moment. But, anyway, that, that, was, that, that was completely white not noise. on our agenda. It, it, to me, it's totally – to me, his chart specifically was what? Minor in possession? Uh, the the basketball player was minor in possession. The um, the football player was a little more serious. It was actual like you know marijuana possession and mushrooms and all that. And he'll probably be, I mean that'll that that that'll be a more significant thing. Uh, you know, was there intent to distribute? I don't believe so. It won't be massive, but it, it so was. So he just it, had weed something. and mushrooms on him. I believe so. Yeah. And it's the middle of summer. Yes. So he'll be maybe suspended for the Missouri State game to start the year, and then everybody moves on with their lives. So yeah. two organic drugs. He's 20 years old, right? How old is he? Thereabouts, uh, right? probably he's, uh, yeah, something like 20, 21, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I don't care. 
Like, just that's how, that's when these things come into work, people always ask me. And I know I'm in the minority there, and I'll probably get, like, I would get Well, you're not, I mean, you're not in the minority among SBNers, but yeah. Right, but we are, yeah, culturally we are, and and it's how we get made fun of sometimes by some of the establishment. I I, I just don't care. Is he, no pistol on him, uh, no intent to distribute. The the guy wants to smoke a little weed at the end of the day, and maybe on the weekend, hey, we're gonna take some, we're gonna take some mushrooms and either sit on the back porch and stare at our hands and listen to, to you know, whatever they want to listen to. I I just I don't care. I don't care. It's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, and our whole po- our so whole much worse in college, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong or healthy or not. I just if you can't afford them, license to be flawed teenagers and early 20 somethings then when the hell are they going to be human beings yeah no the whole and the whole uh he was dumb part was about him leaving the house it wasn't even about like i mean sam the guy who wrote the post was like i, I wish this house was with, with, the, with the drugs on him yeah basically like stay in your damn house if you're gonna do it uh and you mm-hmm. and you won't get in trouble for it but i'm curious if he left that oh uh, he was he high and left or now we're really parsing this but i'm just <laughs> I, again, no, I, I was i, I was at a family reunion when it happened so it yeah. was pretty limited exposure the reason why i ask all these questions is like it just doesn't i don't know something in me just that doesn't register as a problem now you get in the car and you're under the influence you potentially hurt someone else to me that's that's bad okay Everybody has to find their moral compass in this. But, yeah, I'm sorry if the dude's sitting at the house and four or five people are over and they're smoking <laughs> weed and playing Xbox. I do not care. Yeah. I don't. So, I don't know. You Way to put this in a ditch, by the way. We still have questions in Big Ten and a bunch of stuff. And That's right. We're just we're sitting here talking about. Hey, you're the one who randomly brought up a, like you're the one who randomly brought up a word that reminded me of all of this. So it's it's, it's your my fault. fault. Really. Uh, well, one of the things as you were talking about the the Chase Daniel blog is I have a, a, a pretty strong amount of anxiety right now. I told our NFL editor that we would do a story on Josh Allen at Wyoming for obvious reasons and now I'm looking and I think like every reporter in the nation has been to Laramie yeah. so I'm starting to get the the shakes that I'm not going to be able to get in there and get access or I'm going to have to go up there before the season or I don't know I'm a little worried about that Bill. <laughs> oh um, no you have to go to Laramie that's uh no I love going to Laramie I, I had not planned on going before the season and so yeah. I'm a little concerned in general about that so yeah, he's a pretty um, popular dude at this point. Yeah, so that, that's just another reporter's dilemma that I thought I would share on the air. Because I got knocked last week for not sharing information on the air about an investigative story I'm working on. But when it comes to pretty much everything else, if you are so concerned, or if you if you are so interested in like what Bill and I do, this podcast will probably tell you what you're going to get You know, sometimes a week or two in advance. That's just like, I, yeah. I, I mean, if you think it's exclusive, great. <laughs> I appreciate that level of interest in my work. Bill, we have a still a – we can go almost another full hour because we um, are going to break for two weeks. Uh, I have an appointment in, but do you want to do questions first or do you want to do Big Ten first? Well, I, I don't want to wait any longer to talk about Lovey Smith. Let's dive into Big Ten. <laughs> Jesus. Um, I, before we do that, I think we did have a couple questions – specifically about yield ass into the big 10. So we'll tie those in. Um, oh, let's see if there's a couple in here. Um, here we go. Look at this. It's a perfect way to start. This is what an organized podcast would do every time. Our friend Rob Dreyer at Rob Dreyer, D R E I E R. Sometimes I just feel really generous. And I give out people's handles and spell them. How concerned should Illinois fans be with the other two big 10 West 
traditional bottom feeders making really good hires. Fleck and Brom. Hashtag Purdue. I assume, Rob, you are a Purdue, Purdue fan. We appreciate your patronage. Nope, I take it back. He has a... Oh, yeah. His, oh, that was probably a PAPN reference right there. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he's an Illini fan. Um, that's a really good question, Rob. Um, absolutely nothing come Labor Day weekend. Absolutely everything by the time signing day rolls around. How's that? Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, as we've talked about a million times, hires are how co- uh, conferences change. And, and one of the things that, uh, that I thought about uh, the other day that's really super interesting to me now is like, Oklahoma State at the moment with with a with O with OU and Texas both making new hires. You know th- there are dynamics there when other teams make certain hires and and whatnot. And I, I you know I can certainly see the logic in hiring Lovey Smith, but when it comes to college success, clearly the hire of Brom and and Fleck was a much I think a much more sure deal. Uh, you know, when you hire somebody who's had college football head coaching uh, success and knows the the landscape in that regard, then you're ahead of the game. And Illinois' last season, I I don't know if there's anything there. You know, I just I maybe I could be wrong. They've got a couple of really interesting running backs. Basically, if if either Kendrick or Kendrick Foster or Reggie Corbin got more than about three yards beyond the line of scrimmage, they were going about fifty yards. Mm-hmm. Problem was that happened about once every other game. Otherwise, they were getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage nonstop. Um, and so they've got a couple of explosive pieces, but they weren't. Uh, consistent at all. They were dreadfully inefficient. They went three and out all the time. They never forced three and outs. They Garrick McGee was kind of a, a little bit of an odd offensive coordinator hire to me because like his whole career is basically when he's tied to Bobby Petrino, he's awesome. And when he's not, he's not. <laughs> um, and so I, I don't, I wasn't sure what that meant. I don't know if they have enough talent. They barely, it was like a barely top 50 class, no four star guys, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's plenty of reason to be worried if you're an Illinois fan, when you've got this uncertainty and then you add PJ Fleck to Minnesota and you add Jeff Brom, who we've raved about many, many times at Purdue. So yeah, there's absolutely reason to be concerned. Maybe it all, Maybe they generate enough continuity. Maybe they, you know, when their quarterbacks stop getting hurt, they they are efficient enough to where they can actually use their explosive running backs. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But it's a they they made a less sure hire than the other coaches or the other teams did. Whatever whatever metric you would use to grade a coaching hire, I think all of the bottom schools that have made changes recently have done as absolutely as good as they possibly could. Um, with the exception of Illinois, who's made an extremely questionable move and one that I think is not going to work out ultimately. It's nothing against Lovey Smith. I think it's the environment in which he would have to recruit. Okay, actually, this brings up a good point. I think it would be easier to bring in a Lovey Smith, ex, like mainly an NFL guy, to a school that's a hell of a lot easier to win at, if that makes sense. Illinois has always been very confusing to me in that regard because they are, you know, they have like a, you draw a five hour radius around Champaign-Urbana. That's a lot of high caliber recruits right there, but yeah, they but never clean from them for decades. Right. They never, they are never, ever, ever good for more than one year at a time. Uh, and when they're good, they're great. You know, they, they pop up and go to but doesn't a five hour radius include Notre Dame, Michigan, Michigan State? And oh, I'm sure. State? Yeah. I mean, and that's, uh, you know, and Chicago obviously is the, you know, the home state university where, you know, yeah, it's, uh, South Bend and 
well, I mean, technically Evanston and, and Wisconsin and all those schools are, are almost equally close. So, yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of context there. But the bottom line is, like, in theory, if you get an awesome recruiter uh, or just an awesome coach, in theory, you should be able to win there. But nobody does for more than one year at a time. You pop up and you go to the Sugar Bowl and then you're bad. And then you pop up again, you go to the Rose Bowl and you're bad ever since. And it's just a, it's a really, really weird job. I, uh, I like everything that that Indiana did. I like everything that Purdue did. Um, Fleck at Minnesota is super interesting. Um, this is, yeah, this this experiment, it just to me, I don't see how it works out. I don't see how suddenly Illinois lights, lights on fire enough for them to generate momentum in recruiting, and then they're able to translate that into wins in the short term to sustain any kind of interest from the fan base. I just think it was a bad move at the time. I understand that Cubit was not necessarily someone that, that blew away season ticket holders or marketing people at the university, but he's an infinitely better and more connected coach in, in terms of what you have to do and be at Illinois, and that's what I don't understand about the move. So um, I guess, you know, for someone who asked this from an Illinois perspective, it's probably depressing, but it's just it was a really weird and I think unnecessary zag to make by a young, aggressive athletic director and I don't see it working out in the long term. If they were yeah, to catch, I mean, I mean, you tell me as someone who's just finishing the finishing up the the Big Ten previews, is there a way talent wise for them to catch fire? I just don't see this. Well, I mean, if if they win enough games and they start winning, you know, the no, the but I'm saying like this year in twenty in twenty seventeen, that's yeah, not, mean, that's another year of it not happening. Right, they have to basically. There's a path, basically. Like their last year, their linebackers and defensive backs were crazy and experienced. Now they're not. Uh, their defensive line is now rebuilding, which is a problem because it was, uh, the defensive line was where all the plays came from. But I mean, it, that's there was just enough explosiveness last year that you can, if you've got your orange tinted glasses on, you can say, "Hey, look, okay, Chase Crouch won't get hurt after two games this year, um, like he did last year. So we won't be leaning on Jeff George Jr. half the season. And if he's not very good, then this Dwayne Lawson kid who is at Virginia Tech, maybe he's awesome and he can run a little bit. So now you're you're distracting defenses from the two awesome running backs, and you've got Mike Dudick back for now after losing him to knee injury two straight years. Um, you can, the, you know, the schedule has a ton of win probabilities of like in the 30s or the high 20s. And so if they're, you know, seven to 10 points better than projection, that could flip a ton of games in their favor. They can go eight, they can win eight games, but they have to overachieve. And, and that's, they didn't necessarily show a sign that they're going to overachieve last year. So it really it would have to be one of those out of nowhere second year surges. And again, like you've got Garrick McGee never, I don't believe he had ever worked with Lovey Smith. Hardy Nickerson was in his first year as a college defensive coordinator last year. There's not, there's no reason to believe that it all just magically happens, but you know, sometimes it just does. So there, there's your, there's your hope. And, and when Illinois is good, we never see it coming. Okay. Um, so let's not dwell too long on, on the Illini. Um, immediate translation of the new coaches, Tom Allen, Brom and Fleck. Um, I don't think we're necessarily going to see huge returns out of anybody right away. It's going to be interesting to see. I do think of those schools, obviously, with Allen's uh, familiarity with the roster being the D.C., he, they're probably in a slightly better position. Uh, I say Minnesota's in the best position, but that's I, I realize okay. I'm in no, a, no, no, a no, minority take, when it comes to Minnesota. Take me there. Well, no, it just they were better than I think people realized last year. Um, and so, you know, Fleck, if, he, if he's able to, you know, we his only first his only experience as a first year head coach uh, you know he burnt everything to the ground at Western Michigan to start over and went with the yeah. youth movement we don't he doesn't have to do that at Minnesota they've got a little bit more uh, Tracy Clays was doing a decent job last year he didn't get fired for performance 
Um, so, no, I mean, I think they are a couple decent breaks away from being a top 30 or 35 caliber team. Illinois or Indiana, I'm less, less sure. I just, I know nothing. I know the continuity involved with that hire, but I have, I, you know, him, him, uh, you know, pulling Tennessee's offensive coordinator away was uh, not a, an amazing confidence builder, even if a lot of the problems I had with Tennessee's offense last year came from Butch Jones, not necessarily, um, um, God, what's it? Uh, Mike DeBoard. DeBoard, I kept thinking Borland. Um, yeah, I would, I, mean, I would, I would, uh, I think you're on the right path there. Um, I don't but, know who, who, what, ne- which chef was necessarily finishing the dish every time with those offensive drives. But so. if you're, if you built some success based around, you know, Kevin Wilson and his spread principles, and now you're going to whatever it is DeBoard will do, that doesn't, that doesn't build confidence with me. Uh, so I think Minnesota is probably in the best shape. Let's move to the middle. First off, what's the middle? And, and better question here. <laughs> Where in the middle is Michigan State? Um, well, let's put it this way. So this, I started obviously with the ass end on Monday. Yeah. I've done Rutger, I've done Rutgers, Purdue, and Illinois so far. Tomorrow I do Maryland, uh, who was who was who was like Illinois in that they were crazy all or nothing, um, but they won. They did just enough to to get to a bowl, which good for them. Uh, Friday I do Michigan State, and wow. so. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty quick. <laughs> and Michigan State, they're basically their projections for 2017 are that they will bounce back to the top 50, uh, top 40 in defense, top 70 in offense. That all sounds great, except uh, when I redo the projections to account for all the guys who have lost left since February, left or got kicked off since February. Kind of a scary deal here. They lose four of their top five uh, defensive backs, and their defensive backfield got torched last year. Uh, they get they they're replacing half their linebackers. They if, depending on Demetrius Cooper, how his status ends up being, they uh, lose about basically half of their three deep on the uh, defensive line, including Malik McDowell. Um, they dealt with injury, a lot of injury last year. That was part of the reason they struggled so much. Uh, but they, this is still a scary situation because basically a lot of the guys from the last couple of recruiting classes, and they were pretty well-regarded recruiting classes. I mean, plenty of four, you know, low four and high three-star guys here, um, you know, and and they basically succeeded with that caliber of recruit. Right. But a lot of new guys have to hit. You can't have a hit or miss couple of classes. You have to completely rebound with redshirt freshmen and some sophomores and whatnot. And that's just a scary deal. This is a, it's not a guarantee that it's all, all going to remain falling apart and and Antonio has a track record but it's it's dicey right now if he wins nine games this year he should win coach of the oh, year God. oh he yeah oh yeah oh yeah year. if they are yeah, to, no, if they, they are they able their... in any in any way to return to the Michigan State of old obviously nine games doesn't put you in the Rose Bowl or anything but this would be this is hands down the biggest test he's ever faced with the oh, off-field yeah. stuff with with the with the the sexual assault stuff that's in the program, and then also watching watching all of those failed empires become new and better and stronger right. again around you, I don't see how this doesn't end. It's just this is a mess for Michigan State. This is the one yeah. team in the last five years that was dominant, that was in conversation for national titles, that was in the playoff picture. They have I, I don't. There's not a single thing to be positive about right now. Until they get out there and until he can coach through game by game and just put wins together. Coach through it. Uh, yeah, because everything I just mentioned, I didn't mention the fact that their offensive line loses four guys or that their receiving court loses its top four guys. And then the, quarter, the starting quarterback's gone too. Here's the, shortest, so, here's the shortest way to explain this problem. 
you were going to the, you, you were doing something you weren't supposed to in terms of the pecking order of the culture of the Big Ten. You did not capitalize on it. So what I mean by that well, is... Well, you did. They, I mean, they won the conference. They went to the CFP. No. They absolutely capitalized on it. It's just... No, they didn't capitalize on it by building long-term gains in recruiting and in branding. That's where they lost. Uh, they lost because now they've locked off half their 2D. They, they've been recruiting at a top 30 level. They, they, they went to three, you six, nine, straight, nine straight bowls. Nine straight bowls is long-term success in college football. Absolutely, just, absolutely. But you cannot maintain in that division against those teams without becoming one of them. Right, I, I understand and they that. Done that. I'm just, well, no, they're never going to recruit at a top 10 level like the other schools. They always have to overachieve. And the problem with those situations is that all it takes is one bad level of uh, one bad cycle of attrition, one bad recruiting class, uh, and and suddenly you're young as hell. And maybe he's built up enough equity to survive it. Like maybe if they go three and nine again this year, but they actually find a core of sophomores and whatnot, and they can build again and, and start overachieving again. But no, this is why this is why the second tier jobs are always so hard because as soon as the first tier schools get their act together, and there's first tier school in every conference, uh, and they're in the wrong division. You know, divisions shouldn't exist, but, but they all do. All the first two schools are in their division, right? And so, yeah, it's just this is a very tough situation. The fact that he, you know, he had three straight top ten finishes, uh, four top eleven finishes in five years. They, you know, they bowled nine straight years. These are amazing things. It's just, it's it's so hard to maintain that for twenty years. Almost nobody does it. No, and. It's going to be next to impossible for them to maintain even. Yeah. Even I can't say he failed or he's str- he's failed to no, keep up. A certain, I, it's just hard. It's almost impossible to do it, and he's struggling now. There was always going to be an expiration date on on a program like that punching above its weight, unless it became a different kind of program. Is what I'm trying to say, and they it, it, that's just not in look. That's not in the recipe that he that he brought. It was always this right blue collar workmanlike, overlooked, viata, all that stuff. None of that, none of those buzzwords creates a, a, a an ascension, a, a true sea change in how you perceive a program. If anything, right. and, and you think about other schools, underdog crap. <laughs> yeah, you think about other schools on that kind of level, that that overachiever level, like Frank Beamer. What Frank Beamer did uh, in the two thousands, where he won ten games in a row, like or ten at least ten games, like eight or nine straight years or whatever. That was incredible. And, and, and Bill Snyder at Kansas state in the late nineties, that was incredible. Missouri uh, was a more realistic example in that, you know, they had, they would go top five and then they'd go, they'd trickle down a couple of years and they pop back up and trickle down a couple of years. But uh, what he was able to do, um, you know, 11 and two, 11 and two, or yeah. So 11 wins, 11 wins, then seven and then 13, 11, 12. That was incredible. Uh, it's just, he's yeah. You're never, it's so rare for a team to suddenly start then signing top five or 10 recruiting classes and, and, you know, officially become, unless you've got an LSU sized fan base, it's really hard to pull that off. Do you think that um, just as an aside, not to go backwards, and, but before we get to the elites, do you think like something super cool could happen in that Purdue Louisville game? Because they open against each other in, at Lucas oil in Indianapolis. Right. Only because like, you know, master apprentice type situation. I know right. he doesn't have the personnel to do anything, but my lord, yeah, that would be fun. Um, yeah, just, I really if he could just tweak him in one or two ways. I think. Oh, <laughs> I want this game to be in 2019 so badly. Yeah. 
Yeah, I really like I we we've talked a lot about how much we love the Brom hire and then I actually looked at what they have returning this year and and it kind of tamped down a lot of my optimism. I, I basically punted. You know, yeah. it was like uh, like I did for the Cal preview last like, oh, there might be something here. I don't know, but I'm not going to there's probably not this year. Let's just wait until 2018 and figure it out again. Okay. Um so the Michigan State issue being resolved. Where where is the the line of of demarcation between the good and and the uh-huh. middle in this conference in entering 2017. So uh, I guess the best way to answer that, since I haven't written about all the teams yet, I'm not, and so I'm, I'm not completely sure where everything stands. I'll say, I'll just lean on the uh, projections for this, for okay. this year. So um, Ohio state, Penn state, Wisconsin, or Michigan and Wisconsin, all project basically top 15 level. Uh, you know, we've talked about Michigan or Penn State a little bit. They're really super interesting this year just for how reliant on big plays they were, like Illinois, except they were so reliable with them in a way that you're not really supposed to be. Um, you know, that was really interesting to me. But after that, so Wisconsin's projected S&P Plus is, is 18.6, which means they're 18.6 points above the, the average team. The next, the fifth place projected team in the conference is Northwestern at 6.6. There's a 12-point drop-off between the number four and five teams in the conference. Um, that's, that's relatively significant right there. But then you've got, you've got Northwestern at 6.6, Indiana at 6.5, Nebraska at 5.6, Michigan State at 5.1, two teams at 4.4. You've got six teams that are basically identical, um, and they're just far separated from the four teams at the top. And three of those teams are, of course, in the same division. And divisions are dumb. Let's realign. Hey, Big Ten, let's realign. Pods. Pods, 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 pods. Um, let's just go one through 14 and then have, like, one permanent opponent. How about that? <laughs> just, let's just call this whole thing off. Um, it's always so funny. I, I never know how to handle myself when, I, when we start talking about, like, good national brand names. <laughs> I don't know what to do now. It, I'm just so like we're, we're so specific on this show about looking at also rans and you know weird things and rebuilding programs. We start with NIU and spend like a good five minutes on Illinois though. So I think we're. <sighs> I mean, okay, um, Ohio State is probably going to play for the national title. Yeah, they're breaking. They're probably going to be pretty good. Yeah. Um, okay, I can add this. I think the Kevin Wilson hire is really intriguing. I think it could be the much milder, much less headline-making Big Ten cousin to the um, Kiffin-Saban marriage because Wilson is a um, he's a fiery guy. He runs a fiery offense, and Urban is going to obviously opt for something that's a little bit more steady um, in certain times. So um, how fast they go, how often, would be very, very interesting to watch. Um, if they work this out chemistry wise, they're going to be really, really good. Yeah, I mean they they took on their their biggest problem and they brought in a guy who last time he was an offensive coordinator, he was leading an offense that scored sixty points for like whatever that was, like six straight games at OU and in '08. So I mean, uh, he's a very good offensive coordinator. And I know we got a we got an email a while back about. Um, you know, we haven't really touched on the topic that, you know, part of the reason Wilson got pushed out of Indiana was potential player abuse and all that. And, and I mean, that's, you know, why does he get to have, why does he get to have a job and be considered a really good hire when others uh, deal with stigma for a really long period of time? I, I mean, 
That's, it's, that's, but that's that, that one's like nailing Jello to the wall right now in terms of who did what specifically, why, and right. all that. The, the fact that this, the fact that there were no, just not just a ton of specifics probably helped his case in this regard. And it seemed like it was not necessarily about an incident so much as a philosophy. That seemed, I mean, that's, you know, that's something that, you know, maybe that gives us an out. I don't know. Maybe we should be talking about it more, but it is there. And I think he's a phenomenal offensive coordinator, even if he's, even if fiery can be taken in good and bad ways, he's a phenomenal OC and, and Urban Meyer addressed his biggest issue with maybe the best possible hire. Michigan. It's Michigan. a thing. We have to talk about him. I don't know how to, I don't really know how to we talk about We just need to talk Michigan. about him enough that I can put Jim Harbaugh in the title of this podcast and therefore we get we get 14 million listens i don't know like a smart thing to say about michigan right now other than they're probably still not as good as ohio state they're going to especially not this year they lost too much exactly they're going to have a solid season they're probably not going to beat ohio state it's in the big house this year right yes yes Yes. Yeah, yeah it is I had, to, I had to replay last year's game in my head for a second. I, actually, I, what I did as soon as I was trying to figure that, I closed my eyes and thought about the spot play, and I just I could yeah. see <laughs> I could see the horseshoe around it. Um, so they're probably going to lose to Ohio State again. So narrative doesn't change; everything persists. Um, they are going to be really, really good. I think in like 2019, maybe 2018, they start to emerge as a playoff contender, a true playoff contender. I don't, it's not going to be okay or fun for people to just, uh, everyone's going to want to make an argument and a comparison and a hit, like embrace debate, all this nonsense. Like Urban Meyer's had a longer head start at rebuilding a program that has a better existing network of bringing in kids and branding and all that crap. I think one of the things that's gone overlooked is that Harbaugh has, a lot more had a lot more to do in terms of renovation and oh God. ideological yeah. shift at Michigan than than Meyer even did it. Now Meyer had to do a lot at Ohio State to modernize them and to and, and to take that SEC formula, but they're just Michigan is really good. They're back to being you know a a reliable program, but they're not they're not uh, I don't use the e word. I just don't think they're playoff caliber yet. That doesn't mean they they're not going to be. Um, so I Their guess we're, we're going to pacify ourselves with the the headlines about camps and funny things that happen in the press until then. Yeah, I mean it's it's hilarious. Like the the fact that they've only they've only basically played like the number one team in the country for two months of each of the last two years, and they faded at the end, and they they've lost to Ohio State. They can't even win their own division. Yeah, um, yeah. Like three years ago, what what how what were they three years ago? You know how how quickly did this turn around? They Brady Hoke was eight and five, seven and six, and five and seven his last three years. He won twenty games in three years. Harbaugh's won twenty and two, and we're talking about him underachieving or not being able to get over the hump. Um, they're really they're good. Uh, they're going to be maybe only top fifteen good this year. They have to replace most of their receivers, most of their defensive backfield. Uh, obviously, they've got a boatload of talent on the defensive line, but they still lose Taco Charlton and Glasgow and all those guys. And so, yeah, they probably won't put it all together this year. Uh, they might need until a fourth year to be as good as Ohio State, one of the two or three best programs in the country. Um, it's just the goalposts have moved so fast, it's hilarious. Harbaugh's done an incredible job, uh, and he will most likely, based on his track record, continue to do an incredible job. It's just, you know, 
among other things, one of his problems is that his main rival uh, is one of the two best head coaches in the country. And he's only like the fourth best head coach in the country. And, you know, that's going to be a uh, that's going to remain an issue because the Ohio State machine is rolling. But Michigan's doing great. Penn State is more fun than they have any business being. I don't know how that this happened. That was the strangest thing about last year. It wasn't that they were good again. It's that they were crazy fun. So much fun. And by the way, That's if you're a Michigan fun. fan listening to this and screaming, yes, I know you absolutely trucked Penn State last year. Yes. Just to put, just throw that out there. Yes, I know that happened. Um, Penn State is, like, fun and in many ways lighthearted, but they're interesting to watch, and you want to, you like, you casually want to turn on a Penn State game to see what they're going to do on offense. When yeah, did all trucking. this happen? And and trucking Penn State would have meant a lot more if you didn't turn around and lose to Iowa. Um, yeah, <clears throat> kind of a kind of a thing. And you also lost to Ohio State, and Penn State didn't. So, uh, you know, they they won the conference. Uh, no, Penn State. It really was hilarious. Like they, their offensive line for you know like the fourth consecutive year was bad last year. I really like Lime Grover, their offensive line coach. I thought he was great in Minnesota in the offensive line coach role anyway, um, but. He, he wasn't able to, to come up with magic answers. They started, let's see, three, six, nine different guys uh, at least three times last year. And, and three of those guys were freshmen. One was a sophomore. Um, that's just, that's a disaster. And the fact that they were able to be as inefficient as they were, they were horrendous in short yardage, absolutely awful in short yardage. Uh, but Saquon Barkley still averaged five and a half yards per carry. Uh, and Trace McSorley, uh, Trace McSorley still threw for 3,600 yards. Um, when it was, when they fell into a second 11, uh, 11, the offense was basically screw it, go long. Um, and either on second and 11 on, or third and 11, they were going to complete a deep ball uh, to any number of guys, Chris Godwin, Mike Kosicki, uh, Hamilton, uh, Blacknall in the, in the, uh, in the big 10 title game. Yeah, they, that's the, the Joe Moorhead offense has such a wonderful screw it, go long, uh, part to it that they, that there's no way that's not going to be fun as hell. He's going to be a head coaching candidate too, as the cycle, yeah. as the cycle. Notre Dame, I, who is it? Like, uh, um, Bruce, I think Bruce Feldman was, you know, tying him to the or no, uh, Ralph Russo yeah. was tying him to the Ralph. Suge- I think Ralph suggested that that would fit. Right. Well, yeah, I know I wasn't saying it was legit, but I mean, that's that's how well regarded he is that it's, uh, you know, he, he he's not being tied to Illinois. He's being tied to Notre Dame. He's going to be in a unique situation. And and if Penn State does this right and Franklin is a, probably a better boss than people realize, he, he could sit for a minute. And because McSorley has how many years left? Two. He's a yes. junior. So he can sit comfortably at Penn State for a minute and kind of like he did last year, say, yeah, Minnesota, Mina, UConn, uh, you know, he can wait it out like Chad Morris did at Clemson. It's possible. I mean, they, they, they will compensate him accordingly. That's for sure. Right. That's yeah. for sure. Um, um, I've always loved, like, the one thing, you know, we, we've talked plenty of times about James Franklin and his, um, he's an intense guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's, he's got his, you know, flaws here and there. But I, one of the things that I've always enjoyed, even going back to the Vanderbilt days, is he hires so many small school guys. I, that, that's just like, that's, that's reaching into the PAPN heart right there and giving it a little tug. You know, the, um, 
uh, Moorhead coming from Fordham and, and, and like a lot of his support staff came from like D three level. Uh, it's just a really, it's uh you know, if you're aiming well, he to that get very well, side. he was a D three quarterback. Um, right. Exactly. Shippensburg or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bob Shoup is DC at Vanderbilt is now the DC at Tennessee um, who left Penn state uh, came from William and Mary. I mean, that's just, there's, there's great coaching talent that you wouldn't necessarily know because they don't have the right logo on their polo. Um, I've learned that more and more as I go to like coaching events. Uh, you know, you write about this when I talk about this. There's there's interesting things that are going on in strange corners of coaching. And, and <laughs> I think Franklin is smart to to jump on that kind of stuff before people notice. I mean, that's how he found he found Moorhead at a coaching, uh, like basically a, a seminar at a clinic, went, went and was kind of blown away about what he was doing. And it was in the Northeast where you wouldn't necessarily have as much attention in traffic as you would in other portions of the country. So, uh, Bill, we didn't talk about Nebraska. We didn't talk about Wisconsin. <laughs> um, Nebraska, I don't know. And Wisconsin, I expect the exact same thing. Yeah. How's that, how's I mean, that for efficiency? Yeah, Wisconsin, obviously, um, they return quite a bit. They're, the, now, they're, you know. If you're asking me to pick a team that's going to be in Indianapolis from the West, Wisconsin. Yeah, and I mean, obviously now they're on what their third defensive coordinator in three years, or like their fourth in five years, or something like that. And I mean, eventually, maybe you the hire he made. This was the what the former Wisconsin player, I believe, that had far less, obviously far less proven than Justin Wilcox, far less proven than Dave Aranda. Um, so that is a risk. And if they fall off defensively, then they fall into a giant pool of uh, similar teams in Northwestern Iowa, Nebraska, et cetera. But they are still – they are the most proven entity from year to year. There's no Bill. question about that. Our friend Richard Branch from the Buck Around podcast says, Hey, yeah. guys, since the show as of late has turned into oblique <laughs> Wisconsin mention radio hour – get that on a T-shirt. Uh, Owimmer. No, it doesn't work. Uh, I thought I'd send some content your way to keep the streak alive. Since this hire two seasons ago, Paul Christ has uh, an emphasis on getting Wisconsin alumni on his coaching staff. Currently, four of the nine coaches, including the head coach and both coordinators, are Wisconsin grads, plus all six GAs and quality control staff members. In addition, the strength and conditioning staff has three of five as alums. Have you seen this done elsewhere? There was speculation when Chris came from Pitt that he wasn't a guy that had a great network in coaching circles. Could this be a product of that or something else? I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Thanks. Um, so let me, I'll pick apart a little bit. Um, GAs, is that's totally common. Um, QC, that's a little interesting. Usually QC is now turned into, um, guys in those non-coaching positions who are in limbo, um, at places like Alabama and Ohio state and Michigan where they can hire a bunch of people. Um, it's look, it's uh, four of the nine coaches being alumni is is pretty rare. Yeah. Boise state is the, the first thing I can think of, uh, to, to, to match that when you look at their, roster of coaches uh, of assistants yeah. that that were stars Andy Avalos the DC was a star obviously uh and on down the list so there is that precedent and it's always interesting to me because I always think of like the Colorado job when Dan Hawkins didn't make it there speaking of Boise State um and and you know John Embry took over and he made a point of you know bringing Colorado guys back it's we're gonna we're, we're getting to get we're getting the band back together basically um but John Embry wasn't ready work. to be a no, and, and that, that wasn't necessarily because of the Colorado guys. It was that, you know, John, that was a risky hire from the start. He had no, if I remember right, he had no coordinator experience, much less head coaching experience. He was like a NFL tight ends coach or something like that. And so it seemed like that was a 
massive risk of a hire anyway. And so that maybe that's why it didn't work. Not because they were focused on, on, on Colorado guys, but I, I can at least see the logic when it comes to succeeding at a high level in a weird place. I feel like um, Rich is asking this from a, a point of veiled concern. Yeah. And I mean, again, the, um, the, uh, hell, what, hold on a second. What's the, uh, what's his new coordinator? Um, we broke, we broke bill. Sorry. Um, broken. What, what new coordinator? Help me. I can uh, help you. Jim Leonard, Jim Leonard. Um, you know, his, here's his coaching experience. Here's his bio at Wisconsin. Um, Leonard joined the Badgers coaching staff for the 2016 uh, season as defensive backs coach a matter of months after becoming a Wisconsin Hall of Famer. Less than a year later, he's Wisconsin's defensive coordinator. Um, the end, basically. Uh, yeah. His he was a I mean he was he's a young guy he was in pro football clearly he knows football uh but he has barely even begun to learn how to teach the sport and now he's Wisconsin's defensive coordinator that it's, it's is a weird scary move. To me. it's a weird that's move. very scary but everything that you talk about in terms of personnel and staffing decisions at Wisconsin it has to do with Barry Alvarez yeah I mean, flat out, when, when Bielma got frustrated and felt like he outgrew the thumb of Alvarez, he moved on. Anderson saw the writing on the wall long before he was in a, you know. I, I think Anderson got out immediately because he knew it was going to get worse for him in the long run. Also, he felt he followed up Brett, who was highly successful, and got out. And Chris is a, is an apple off of the Alvarez tree, a little bit even more so than, than any of those guys. And so... It's one of the few jobs in the country where you really have to talk about the AD in every sense of a coaching, when you, a coaching analysis, and that's nothing against Chris, but that's just the reality of, of Wisconsin right now. So, right. Um, I, so I, that, I don't know. That's that, tough. It's not a bad thing necessarily that you have alumni. It, it's in, in it, it sticks out though. Right. This one, like I said, the the Leonard move concerns me. Otherwise, I mean, it makes sense. But <laughs> following that, up Wilcox, who too followed up, soon. yeah, following up Wilcox, who followed up Aranda. Wilcox moves on, gets a head-shooting job. Aranda, probably the best defensive coordinator in the country right now. Definitely one of, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that that's, that's tough. We'll see. Yeah. That That's not going – the returns on that are not going to look good just because of comparison. How about that? Right. But, you know, 20, 20 bowls in 21 years. Um, what, set, let's see, seven. 11 ranked finishes in 13 years. It is kind of a benefit of the doubt thing. But that's still, that's pushing it. <laughs> that's pushing it uh, until proven otherwise. So Nebraska uh, Bill is. I was about to say Nebraska, yeah. Is a. Uh, a football team. Yeah. Um, it's a football team. It's a football team who might um, who might be in a situation where they lose to Oregon and people completely lose their minds. And it's funny, like, he's he's recruited better than I kind of feared he might. He, uh, you know, top 20 classes most years. Currently, he's, I think, got like a top 15 class, although um, uh, recruiting rankings in, in June before the following signing day is uh, that, that's one of the most worthless possible data points in the, in the, in the world. Yeah. Uh, like everybody in the country has already like committed and decommitted at least once. But, um, but still like he's, I think he's building goodwill in that regard. Um, you know, at least four or five, four star guys last year. And, and so there's talent in the, pi- uh, in the pipeline, 
but they, as, as much as I said that they were underrated in 2015, they were six and seven, lost a ton of close games. They were equally overrated last year. They're nine and four, won a ton of close games, uh, fell in S and P plus, I think by a reasonably decent margin. And so now they had, they, they don't have a quarterback with any experience if I remember right. And there it's, it's, the roster is in transition, and even if the upside of these young guys is is pretty high, you don't want to lean on a bunch of freshmen and sophomores if you're Nebraska and you've won 15 games in two years and your your fans got tired of the last guy only winning nine or ten games a year. And, yes, Nebraska fans, I realize there's more to it than that, but that was part of it. Um, you, you have to win sooner than later, and I don't know if they're necessarily set up to do that. So kind of an interesting position for them to be in at the moment. Everything about this just says more of the same to me, even the way that the, the, the schedule plays out. Um, they get, let's see, on the east side, they get, I mean, they get Penn State and Ohio State. Uh, <laughs> and they're front-loaded with winnable games. If they do beat what we assume to be an Oregon that's just going to kind of burn it down for a little bit, that's another conversation to have. I don't think they can burn it down the way Taggart's burned down other programs and start right. it over. And it's in, it's in Eugene, too, which is extra tricky. So, but let's just say they win that game. They're smooth for a minute, and then that's going to build up a, a, a level of expectation that's just not. Yeah, I was about to say that's almost bad. Yeah, they yeah, start. And uh, if they take the ding at Oregon, I think they get to they get to operate a little quieter. But I mean, it's Arkansas State, Oregon, Northern Illinois, Rutgers, Illinois, and then Wisconsin, Ohio State. Northwestern is always like a, a two point game either way. Then at Minnesota and at Penn State, yeah, they could go from five and zero oh to. Seven and four, pretty quickly. So, if I'm writing out the story on this, on, on how this this thing turns into a coup, it's that first off, let's let's go to the end. Iowa drubs them on Thanksgiving on, on Black Friday. Okay, <laughs> okay. Iowa drubs them on Black Friday, and they lose at Minnesota in Plex first year, and they start to see that not only are we not not we're not becoming this elite thing we always thought we'd be in the Big Ten, and we haven't been in years. You know, we're, we're not, not Pelini level. We're not. Well, we're not Osborne and now we're losing ground in a bad division. That's where things will start to close in on him, which sucks because he is a nice guy. But He's I a very just nice think guy. it but was you a don't... really, really weird hire from the, from the jump. As, as I've said many times, you don't hire the opposite of your ex. You actually try to hire the best coach, um, and I don't feel they did that there. But again, like if, they can, if, they can, if you can tread water, he might be recruiting well enough to pick up steam. But yeah, new, new quarterback – uh, new running back, mostly new receiving core. Stanley Morgan's back, but he's almost the only one. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Westercamp's gone. Most of, they, they get, let's see, they get two of their top eight receivers from last year back. Um, best couple of defensive linemen are gone. Uh, best couple of linebackers are gone. Secondary is pretty good. Uh, so, yeah. It's, Not great, though. This is a situation, this would be the best possible year for him to overachieve. Um it might build enough of a bridge for him to get somewhere, but if they underachieve this year, then I'm should I just read of off? It, should, should we just repeat the segment from a month ago where I read off UCF's schedule? <laughs> because right. that's what everyone else is going to do. That's right. Although I guess I, I don't know. I was so wrong on my slam dunk on Lincoln Riley. Although that wasn't my fault. Well, right, yeah, but Bob, the problem was that Bob Stoops heard you and said, well, we better lock this guy up. That's right. So I should retire. So our podcast did that. Um, No, all my information was right. I just didn't know that Oklahoma was going to have a retirement in June. Um, All right. (laughs) Let's fire off and finish up the rest of these questions. 
Bill, um, let's see, which where do I want to start? I don't think we have any more Big Ten connected questions, at least the ones that I've perused. Um, so let me just go at random. Uh, I, uh, well, actually, I'll start with the first one I see, at Dan okay. Greenspan. I don't need to spell that one because it's spelled exactly as you think. Uh, Clemson has Auburn and Louisville early. Percentage chance Tigers title defense is already over when October starts. I mean, re- reasonably high. I mean, that's um, that's a tricky start, and they could, they're they going to be breaking in a new quarterback. And um, I've seen a lot so of – he's implying that they lose both of those games. Or, I mean, or at least they, they look shaky, they lose one of them, and they've still got Florida State to go. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say – but I guess technically he's probably saying uh, the odds that they lose both, and those aren't amazing odds. They almost lost both of those games last year, so mm-hmm. it's definitely on the table. Yeah, um, and I think a nine and three season for Clemson is totally fine. Yeah, I mean that's I saw a lot Florida of State and lose to uh, uh, Louisville. The sentiment, I've seen uh, some comments about Clemson on on Twitter from writers and whatnot over the last week or two, and it has I think there's all, we're almost. Like we're assuming enough of a drop off that we're almost going too far with it. Yeah. Um, but they're fine as a program. The bones are, are ridiculously strong, but yeah, it's going to be really hard for them to avoid going about nine and three. When you start having those stupid Florida state seasons, that's when you know you've made it where people right. like last year's Florida state team where they're like, this is just, this is unacceptable. And you look up and they're nine and three. Like that's when you know right. that this you have a total rebuild and they were yeah. really good. Yeah. That's when you actually, to, to circle back around to Michigan State, that's when you know you have changed everything. And the perception is stupid, but uh, but higher. Uh, Josh Brundage, uh, that's at Josh Brundage, B-R-U-N-D-A-G-E. I'm just so nice today. Wow. What embarrassing L is more likely in week one? UGA losing to App State or Auburn losing to Georgia Southern? Um, Georgia, my God, Georgia. Um, yeah. That wouldn't even be that. Well, it would be embarrassing. But, but, here, but here's even. my argument against this, against you, because I was going to pick the other one. This is not a good Georgia Southern team at all. Right. And App State is a better team right now than Georgia Southern. Well, yes. And, and Auburn and Georgia right now was, is a better Georgia team was Georgia. quite a bit worse. Right. Georgia was quite a bit worse than Auburn overall last year. Yes, I know Georgia, if I remember right, you won that game. I but, don't care. Auburn's a better team than Georgia right now. Right. Auburn was, for the year as a whole, better, and they got Jarrett Stidham. So they they have top 10-level expectations. Georgia might, but they're probably more like top 20 or 25 expectations this year. Whoa, 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 Bill. Georgia does not have top 10. Oh, expectations like in the stands? Yeah, because they're stupid. No, Auburn. Auburn has top 10 uh, expectations, and Georgia has more like top 20 or 25 expectations. Fair. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Split, Josh? No, says, but we're talking about Georgia, what's more I'm likely. Saying, I'm saying Georgia. Oh, likely? Absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah. Auburn Auburn would be far more embarrassing, but it, yeah. we, he asked what's more likely, and I think that's by far Georgia because App State is way better than Georgia Southern, and yes. Auburn is probably better than Georgia, so therefore. Satterfield on that job watch. Um, yeah. Oh, let's see here. <laughs> At Trayton Miller says, how many more emails are in front of my email on the PAPM email waiting list? Okay, Trayton Miller, let's uh, let's go to the folder. You dig in and I'll, I'll answer a quick yeah. one. Um, we already did the Illinois question. I promise you we won't do. Um, and Keith Sharma at CanesFan4849. Can you explain why Miami keeps playing home and homes with G5 schools? Is it a money thing or is there something else? And Keith, it's a money thing. Yeah. That's, that's it. It's okay, too, by the way, um, for, for what Miami is right now. In the long term, you want to see them do a prestige game, but I know that they are playing LSU in a couple of years. So it's not a forever thing. It makes sense in the short term. They've 
had some issues selling out the stadium down there, obviously, in Miami. And when they're putting deals together, it just makes financial sense to take um, to spend less money on bringing in big schools to Miami. So, I mean, it didn't bother you guys at App State last year. It wasn't like that turned into some awful, like, why are we here upset type situation. So um, I think more is being played out of this because people are making fun of them like Florida State fans. By the right. way, 2018, they play LSU to open the season in Arlington. And then 2019, they play Florida to open the season. Uh, I don't know what that game is called. It's the one uh, Camping World State. It's in Orlando. It's what Florida State and Ole Miss did last year. 2020, they're at Michigan State. 2021, Michigan State at home, and on I go. They have Texas A&M for a two-game series. They have Notre Dame for a two-game series. Three, four, five. I think I'd rather play Arkansas State. (laughs) Oh, yeah, sorry. Notre Dame is technically a conference. They rotate in on Notre Dame starting in 2024 as their weird ACC, blah, 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 whatever. This is totally fine. By the way, they get that App State return game in 2021, in case you're worried. So they're fine. All right. Our friend Trayton Miller, uh, about a month ago, I I do not recall. It was in the folder. I do not recall reading this at all. I must have been driving that day or something, but whatever. I found it. Um, Well, hello there. I'm a seasoned PAPN listener, uh, and I just wanted to start off by saying thank you. I love this podcast. Okay. Well, thank you. Blah, blah, blah. Um, Scrolling on down. My buddy Tanner and I are big fans of both PAPN and the nerdy soccer podcast, The Double Pivot, the Double Pivot co-hosted by Michael Cayley and Mike Goodman. It is very nerdy podcast. It's not bad. Uh, on that program, yeah, that uh, they had a season. Huh? Do you, have you listened to that podcast? Yeah, like all other podcasts, I intend to listen to it every week, and I've listened to it like twice, but they're both really good. And they're, they're both nerds, for sure. On that program, they had a season-long competition where they each host, where each host selected one by one, ten of the twenty Premier League clubs to add to their quote-unquote teams, and whoever's clubs finished the year with the highest total number of points won the competition. Wait, what? Um, so you you pick a you pick a group of teams and hope that yours wins more than your opponent. Oh, okay. uh, seeking out our own college football version, Tanner and I set out to create our own version of this game for the 2017 college football season. We call it the PAPM Mid-Major Challenge. Uh, we set out uh, to select a roster of 10 mid-majors between us, allowing BYU, Army, and UMass to count toward the pot of available teams. Uh, don't tell BYU fans. That'll piss them off. Uh, we held a draft where we filled out our rosters from our own personal draft boards, requiring that each person pick at least one team from each mid-major conference, excluding the independents. The person whose roster of teams ends the season with the highest combined S&P Plus rating uh, will be declared the winner, and the loser must purchase for him a piece of memorabilia from the winner's favorite mid-major. God. Uh, the first picks by us were basically automatic since Tanner is a committed USF Homer who is driving the Quentin flowers for Heisman bandwagon. He chose the bulls first, uh, since I am the internet's number one Paxton Lynch defender and considering <laughs> Anthony Miller and I consider Anthony Miller to be my full grown adult son. Memphis was my first selection. We sneaked our way, snaked our way down our rosters, effectively choosing two teams in a row. The rest of the way with the results ending like this team Trayton. Memphis, Boise, Tulsa, MTSU, Navy, Western Kentucky, Houston, Temple, Miami, Ohio, Georgia Southern. Damn. Uh, Team Tanner, USF, Colorado State, App State, Toledo, Troy, BYU, San Diego State, Central Florida, Louisiana Tech, and Air Force. Uh, At first glance, I cannot pick a winner there. Um, We are both extremely excited for this competition. We look forward to making snide jabs of one another throughout the season. I'm sending this all to you, so if the PAPN listenership at large wants to have their own versions of variations, they can do so. I have nothing to add to this email at all. That's uh, that's an extremely PAPN idea to the point I almost feel like weird about it. Um, Slow your IP. 
<laughs> and uh, both of those teams look pretty good. I'm thinking Team Trayton at the moment, but that could change. Oh, wow. Congrats to Team Trayton. You got the Bills steal of approval. Well, we, got, we answered his question. Oh, it wasn't really a question. We did. Wasn't really it was a pushed to the front of the queue. Um, I would normally just say something like, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna start taking questions from X, but it's been so all over the map lately, and we're still waiting on some things from corporate. So whatever, just try and get at us the best way you can." Okay, um, let's go with Dimitri. Actually, Dimitri uh, Margarias probably wrong. At uh, Meech BVB, uh, he had two questions. I'll read the first one. Have Bama Bagman slowed down, or has the well dried up? What's up with their recruiting? Um, they're, uh, they're, it's June. Yeah, it's it's June. They're going to end up in the top five at worst. Yeah, uh, that'd be fun. Is that a – I didn't even know that was a thing. It's a thing. It's oh, a thing. They, okay. they have very, very few recruits at I'll the moment. Bud. Uh, but they have a smaller class this year. That's what Bud, Bud said on a re- recruiting podcast I did. They, they they're going to have a smaller class overall. They have currently only four commitments, and one is a punter. Uh, they are ranked 66th and 13th in the SEC. That is absolutely, positively everything wrong with looking at recruiting rankings in the middle of June. Yeah, I'm, yeah. just don't, don't, don't worry about it. Um, Ross Shercliffe, at Ross Shercliffe, S-H-I-R-C-L-I-F-F-E. I'm not going to do this every podcast. Uh, which G5 schools annually have the best fan support and why? Um why is because they're good and they built traditional fan bases. So we've said this a thousand times on the podcast. When the Sun Belt added App State and Georgia Southern, they got an instant boost of hardcore fans that show up, sell out those stadiums, make noise, they're engaged. Um, the ones off the top of my head after that are what you would expect. Boise State. Um, when Houston and SMU are good, they have big turnouts because they're in major cities and they have his, you know they have a lot of history in their football programs. Um, you know, Mashin's weird. Um, you never want to hold, uh, you never want to hold a Mac team accountable for how, how many or how few people are there on a Tuesday night, right? Those right. are the circumstances beyond <laughs> their control. But, you know, Northern Illinois brought a ton of people to the Orange Bowl when they played Florida State. Um, I would say pretty much every Mac school is created equal in terms of potential, like building up a big swell of fans on a, in, in a winning season. Um, I there think are I would a couple put, outliers there, but yeah, in general. I think I'd put Toledo at the top of that list. but um. Um, In the Mountain West, uh, gosh, I mean, you know, Utah and TCU are great examples of teams that had Power 5, you know, functioning fan bases, and that's kind of why they're in the – oh, uh, BYU is the answer. God, sorry, slipped right by. Yeah. Right, if we're, if we're counting BYU, then BYU. Yeah, yeah BYU, totally, um, without a doubt. And – I don't want to slight or leave anybody off the list because, you know, given the right circumstance, it's funny because Ross's avatar photo is a picture of him in big red. So I assume, yeah, he's a Western Kentucky guy. There's an issue at Western Kentucky and that when you host a conference championship and you have a coach like Jeff Brom and you're running an offense as fun as Western Kentucky's, you need to sell out your stadium and they're not doing it. It's not hard. It's not a big stadium. It's a very nice facility. Western has an issue right now with fan support and getting people engaged. I don't know what more you can do. I mean, you had Willie Taggart, Bobby Petrino, and Jeff Brom. Like, what's Mike Sanford going to do to engage fans right. that those guys didn't? <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, you had the head coaches of Oregon, Louisville, and Purdue. Yep. So, Mike Sanford's probably going to end up somewhere else in a couple of years, and, and rightfully so, because you can't get more than 13,000 people in the stadium. Sucks because Western's fun. They're a good program, but super fun. 
<sighs> That's an uh, existential Dimitri, question for the CUSA, too. Dimitri Magirius Magirius's other question was, how does FSU plan on winning the title this year without wide receivers? Um, yeah, that is a little bit of an issue. You lose two all-conference uh, offensive linemen and, and your top three receivers plus Dalvin Cook um, from a projection standpoint that will absolutely hold you back. And, and that's the biggest question they have to answer. The answer is probably their defense is going to be incredible because uh, it returns almost literally everybody and gets Derwin James back. Um, so that certainly can't hurt. But, yeah, they if, if their line's healthy, maybe they can kind of avoid getting DeAndre Francois hit a thousand times a game, but he still has to have somebody to pass to. And um, best thing I can say is their receiving core is a bunch of juniors. It's a bunch of little-used juniors, but they're juniors and not true freshmen. So Plug and play, baby. Plug and play. Consistent sure. recruiting classes, talent-rich state. We don't know their names yet, but we will. feel very confident in a program like Florida State. It's just a matter of – Q rating and we and they don't have it yet, but they will, especially in a game against Alabama. It only takes one play, and then all of a sudden we'll be talking about a receiver like he's always been there and he's always been a superstar. Nate G. Edwards at Nate G. Edwards asks, "What's the formula for quote that guy is still in school?" End quote. <laughs> I'm assuming big freshman year, injury in second year, but that's as far as I got. Yeah, I don't even have to be an injury oh, in the second man. year. It's just more that, you know, it, production fell off or whatever. Nebraska and Northwestern quarterbacks always stuck me stuck me that way. <laughs> well, it really does. I think he's right, though, in that, you know, it's it's that they have to be around for a full four years, and we have to have forgotten about them at some point. Justin Vincent uh, at LSU was one for a long time because he had yeah. the, the huge game in the national title in 03. He was a freshman. And then he, he, yeah. then he was just around. Um, Kermit Edwards was kind of like that for, since we're talking about Florida State receivers. Um, you know, he returns that that huge kick for a touchdown against uh, Auburn. And three years later, Kermit, did I say Kermit Whitfield? Or did I say – that's his Edwards. name. Edwards. <laughs> Kermit Whitfield. Um, and then three years later, he's catching like 30, 40 passes at Florida State. That one, that one felt weird to me because um, I had completely forgotten about him. But um, – I mean, I yeah, think the so ultimate formula is breakout freshman season, regression, injury, yeah, red sort of slump year. or injury. Or, yeah, yeah, so five-year span where your freshman or true, true freshman or true sophomore year is your breakout noticed year, and then you there's a regression plus some sort of absent, like injury kind of deal where you end up as a fifth-year senior. Right. Um, I think that's probably the formula there. Can you – I mean – no, that's that's basically. It's also it. weird uh, now because you have so many graduate transfers. Yeah, it throws it off. It's it's not as fun as it used to be, where you could obviously just you know, peg a guy as like, oh wow, he's been at X for five years. I wonder how many. I wonder how many like casual NFL fans think that Russell Wilson played his entire collegiate career at Nebraska or at uh, Wisconsin. Uh, most of them, I'm, I'm imagining. God, I'm already confusing those two schools. Uh, ben Dewalt yep. seven. Uh, B-E-N-D-E-W-A-L-T-7. How will Mike Gundy's perpetual five-year deal end up working out? Does Gundy ride off into the sunset in 10-plus years, or does drama ensue before that? Uh, well, first of all, if if my cousin, who I spoke with at the family reunion last weekend, had his way, he would have been up for the OU job, which would have been amazing. Wow. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so, but anyway. Um, no is the answer to that. <laughs> I, you know... What I'm impressed with with Gundy right now is that it's he's made it to tenure. Like for a long time, his name was tied to a ton of jobs, and then he underachieved for a couple of years. Born in Tennessee, everybody got yeah, everybody got t- like 
It was like he, he and everybody else at OSU kind of got tired of each other, and now he's letting his freak flag fly. He's, 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 he's becoming even more oaky than, than anyone imagined, um, or, or showing off his oaky, I should say. And now it doesn't seem like he's ever going to leave. Um, you know, that, it's, it's, I, I, I love it. I love it when that happens, and, and I'm really curious what they do this year because they, or, or in the next couple of years because, like I said, now you've got – Turnover at the two, the two biggest programs in the in the conference, and that right. tends to open a door for you at least momentarily. Um, but yeah, they've he 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 might be one of the most underrated coaches in the conference at this point. He's won ten plus games in let's see five of the last seven years, nine plus in in seven of the last nine. Um, you kind of hate that he. You, you do kind of hate that he missed his chance in 2011 when that field goal went "quote unquote" wide, uh, <laughs> he because that would have put though. them. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, that that was it. That was his moment. That was they were they would have been 12 and 0. They would have been in the national title game. They, they'd have gotten whooped by LSU, but they would have been in the national title game. Frustrating um, thing for for OSU fans and Gundy himself is that if he does have that moment now in this in this awesome, interesting third act of his career, which so many coaches don't get, is that they'll they'll frame it around. Well, you know, because Stoops is gone. So that oh, well. sucks, but oh, well. um, Gundy's a, that's the way it works. He's a really good coach. He's made really good hires. They've done. He needs to figure out maximize what what they have more than most programs in the country. Maximize what their program can be. Yeah, that's, he needs to figure out his defense. The defense. He he pushed Bill Young out a few years ago because Bill Young was old and played Ben Don't Break, and that's not a lot of fun. He could put Glenn what Glenn Spencer in there. Their their defense has been very very mediocre the last couple of years, and so they need to. That's that's what's been holding them back, and if they don't have another peak like 2011, it's going to be the defensive side of the ball that holds them back. But they need um, to kind of groom that program a little bit more to to they, they need to insert themselves into the conversation about top programs. Like their non conference scheduling is kind of tepid. You know, it's funny we got the question about Miami scheduling, where where I see a schedule that could actually be benefited by some bigger, more high stakes games, like Oklahoma State. Schedule somebody. Do something big. They've got Pittsburgh this year. They've got Boise State next year. No offense to those programs. Why is Okie State not doing the one-offs in Dallas? Man, it's they so played hard, Mississippi though. State in Houston, and it was I covered the game. It was 2013, 14? It's been a while. And it wasn't a great Mississippi State team. So they need to go out and do one of those games. It's so hard when um... – when you're in a wait, did, does the ACC do nine team or nine game conferences conference schedules now? Who I think the ACC. Yes, but I no, think they do yeah. the Notre Dame thing. Let's see, Florida State plays Alabama, ULM, and Delaware. Yeah, Delaware State and Florida, so they still do eight. Yeah, yeah I, um, I was. Um, no, it's really hard if you're in the Big Twelve right now. I realize you need to. I realize your conference's stature is is tough, but. At the same time, you're you're playing ten conference games now. Uh, if you make your conference title game, you make ten, you play ten conference games, and whether you're in the Big Twelve or the Big Ten or the Pac twelve, I think it's harder to convince yourself to take on really good non conference home and homes when you are already playing ten uh, power conference teams. And the way the Big Twelve does it, they don't start early. You play nine in a row, and then if you when then you're going to play a rematch against somebody good in the in the Big Twelve title in the dumbass Big Twelve title game. Um, that's I I you know Boise State's enough. I think if you're if you're obviously you're you're going to fall back a little bit in the pack uh, among one loss teams if you do that because the Big Twelve 
perceptions aren't that great right now, but I'd take my chances with that, honestly. Two non-conference road games this year. Both are unremarkable at South Alabama and at Pittsburgh. By the way, and that's another one that people are going to throw up a red flag on. The South Alabama deal makes sense. It's a two, it's a two for one. So they get South Alabama twice in Stillwater, and they go there once. It's not that big a deal. Really isn't, folks. <laughs> I'm, it's not because I'm trying to push any agenda. It's just that I'm tired of hearing people like, what's wrong with X? They're going to Y. It's just that's part of the business right now. Um, <laughs> Bill. Yeah. What are you going to do with all this free time? We don't have a, we don't have a podcast for the next two weeks. Yeah. Um... I, I, I don't know. That's that's going to open up uh, are you, are you, hours. Are you scared? Are you worried? Well, I don't want people to You won't to have a podcast about. to edit. That's right, but you know, people might forget all about us. No, they won't. Um, so everyone, look, have a, have a great holiday. I always say this. Go read a book. Go spend some time with a loved one. Because when we do come back on July 12th, it's on. It's, it's the season has started. I know that they don't play the football with the helmets and the ball and the running, but it's like... Dumb conjecture, media events, people standing around hotel ballrooms, and terrible quotes have begun. And isn't that the most fun part of this sport? Um, so enjoy your enjoy your time off. I'm going to kind of enjoy mine, which isn't really time off. Um, and I'm going to spend the back half of the summer slogging through airports and hotels, as I do. And um, we're going to have some super, super interesting stuff. Um, you kind of let the cat out of the bag on one project that we have going at SB Nation College Football, but it is going to be so PAPN-y. It's a staff-wide project, and it's going to be so on-brand for this podcast. It's going to be really fun to talk about. Yes. Um, we've, said, we've said too much already. We have. Um, go see Bill at uh, SBN underscore Bill C. Go see me at 38 Godfrey. Um, it's going to be pretty quiet on my end, radio silence, unless the, you know, I do the little investigative reporting on that school that I'm somewhat familiar with. <sighs> Bill, enjoy the fireworks and the hot weather. <laughs> Hold on to your butts, folks. Oh, God. <laughs>